Hello, everyone, and welcome to NCEA Podcast. This is Kevin Baxter, the Chief Innovation Officer for NCEA, and thanks for being with us today. We have a very special episode today. We're going to release this on Wednesday before Thanksgiving, and we're recognizing two outstanding principles, Catholic school principles that represent the tremendous leadership that we see across this country from our Catholic school leaders, and this is in honor of recognition of Principal Appreciation Day First up, we have Dominic Franconi from Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary School in Belmont, Michigan. Assumption is a, is a recipient of the Blue Ribbon Recognition from the U.S. Department of Education. And Dominic talks about the wonderful culture at the school that's been established and that application process. So we are grateful for, to Dominic for joining us and know that you're going to enjoy the conversation with him. And next up, we're going to have Simon McFall, who is the principal at St. Olaf's School in Bountiful, Utah. And Simon talks about the school and building a culture that connects the parish and school in a really intentional way that helps to build really constructive relationships and a very positive school culture. So we hope you enjoy uh, both Dominic and Simon and, and uh, take time to really recognize your wonderful uh, school site leader because we are so grateful to them for all of the work that they've put forward, especially during this year of COVID. So uh, enjoy the show. And today's episode is sponsored by FACS. FACS serves over 4,000 Catholic schools with financial management tools, admission solutions, a student information and learning management system, and professional development opportunities for students, leaders, and educators. They're eagerly supporting Catholic schools with a number of resources to help facilitate learning during the pandemic. One of the solutions they offer is a coaching program by FACS Education Solutions. FACS Ed consults with your school administrators and teachers and partners with you to develop a customized instructional coaching experience delivered by a FACS Ed certified coach. You can save time and support your teachers by letting FACS Ed coach your teachers virtually or in person. To learn more about FACS Education Solutions and how you can find federal funds to pay for the program, visit faxmanagement.com coaching. That's F-A-C-T-S-M-G-T dot com slash coaching. Thanks again and enjoy the show. Very excited to have Dominic Franconi with us. He is the principal at uh, Assumption School uh, in Belmont, Michigan. And so uh, and they are a new recipient or a new uh, this year recipient of the Blue Ribbon recognition from uh, from the Department of Education. So we're very, very excited to have Dominic with us. Dominic, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Um, so Dominic, let's start off just sharing a little bit. We're trying to, obviously, we want to recognize principals and all the great work that uh, that they're doing in our Catholic schools, especially we we know that this year in particular has been a challenging year with COVID and all of the challenges that has presented. But tell us a little bit about your background, um, kind of where you grew up and how you uh, came to be principal at Assumption. All right. Um, well, so uh, I grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I I went to Holy Spirit uh, for my um, elementary years, and then I went to West Catholic High School um, for for my high school, and uh, then I went to Grand Valley State University and got my bachelor's in education. And when I graduated in, in Grand Rapids, there was a teaching job shortage. So I went to an out-of-state job fair and I got a job teaching fifth grade in Fort Lauderdale um, at Pembroke Lakes Elementary. Um, and 
teaching there for fifth grade. I taught there for eight years. Um, and during my time there, while I was teaching, my principal uh, was giving me extra opportunities to lead the school and student council, and I would lead the science fair, and I started, she started kind of showing me that she wanted me to take some leadership and saw some leadership in me and mentored me along, and um, I really, really enjoyed it, and I got my master's degree from a Catholic university in Miami Shores, uh, Barry University, and um, I, I was thinking about staying in Fort Lauderdale, but then a friend of mine who was a principal in the Catholic school said, hey, there's a an opening in, in Remus, Michigan at a small Catholic school. Uh, I think you should apply. And I said, you know, I, I'm a product of the Diocese of Grand Rapids. It'd be great to get back, um, give back to them, especially for all they did to me. Um, I wouldn't be here today without, without the Diocese of Grand Rapids and, and growing up in the Catholic school. And so I, I went, I interviewed and they flew me up and, uh, that was that. I became a principal of St. Michael, a, a school of 65 students. Uh, wow. Pre-K through six. And, uh, I enjoyed my time there. And, uh, I was there for two years in an opening, um, at Assumption. I, I heard of an opening at Assumption. And, and when I was growing up and went to West Catholic, I always knew the kids that went to Assumption. They, they were very well prepared for high school. They were in uh, honors courses. Um, they did very, very well. I knew it was uh, a prestigious uh, school in our area. And, and before I actually moved back to Michigan, it was a school that was that I always wanted to be the principal of. And when it opened, I was really happy at St. Michael, but um, I felt drawn and, and to, to apply. And I applied and I got the job. And um, it's been awesome. I've been there almost five years. And I and I love it. Uh, you know the the strong family that we have there, the staff, um, and really, really, it's such a it's you feel you feel Christ as soon as you walk into the school. It's it's really an amazing place to feel the love and um, that just envelops you when you when you come into the building. And I just I feel blessed to be the principal there every day. I wake up, I enjoy going to work. I know I'm doing God's work, and it's it's. It's really awesome. I, I can't explain um, it, but it, everything I get to do there with the kids, the staff, it's, it's amazing, and I, I feel truly blessed. That's wonderful. Wonderful. Um, so let me come back. To, uh, you went down to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Did you go down for the job? Is that why you moved? Yeah, yeah. Wow. I got, that's I got that's my quite degree. a move for a teaching job, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they uh they had an out-of-state uh, job fair at Grand Valley, um, where I went, Grand Valley University, and uh, I went to a couple places, and one said, "Teach near the beach," and you know, I was 23 years old, and I think it was even winter when I when I applied, yeah, and I said, "What well, teach near the beach? That sounds pretty good right now," and uh, I I interviewed for 20 minutes, and I got a call back, interviewed for another 20 minutes, and I they offered me the position, and. Um, then I had to go to another little job fair down there and interview with schools to see if there was one that fit me. Otherwise, they would just place me. But mm -hmm. yeah, I went there just for the job and I guess the beach and the sunny weather. Sure. I, um, so it, it was a great experience. And, and I really fell under a, a principal there, um, um, Rosemary Lester, who really grew me along and, and, and showed me so much about being an administrator. That's terrific. Yeah, we all need those mentors in our lives for yeah. sure. And then when you came back, you were at a school, um, 65 students. Was that small intentionally by, by choice or would they have liked to have had 
more kids in the school. And I ask because, you know, we're doing some work on Catholic micro schools and looking at how we can create more sustainable models for, you know, schools that have lower enrollment. Yeah, uh, the intent was always to, to build enrollment. I think when I left, we were at around 85 students. So we, so we built 20 students in the two years. Just, and it was nice being small, um, but the sustainability, like you said, you know, you, you need students in the school and, and tuition coming in in order to keep it running. Now, I don't think um, they would ever do anything to that school because it's so near and dear to their parish. Um, but, but trying to grow it was, was what I was trying to do. I think at one point they had 140 students, 160 students, something like that in the building. But um, due to the location, it's very rural. And I think uh, people were moving away for jobs and things like that and um, going to the public school system because middle school started in fifth grade there. So it was kind of a little bit different. So kids would stay um, at St. Mike's until fourth grade and then they would mm. transition to that um, public school around fifth grade. And there was the, the closest um, high, Catholic high school was, I think, you know, 20 to 30 miles away. So there were, most of them were going to go to a public school at some point anyway. Right. So um, you already shared a little bit about uh, Assumption, but but tell me a little bit about the school and um, just characteristics of it. Obviously, what, what drew you there, you, you referred to its reputation when you were uh, in high school, but but what's, uh, what are some defining characteristics of Assumption? I, when I, I don't want to sound cheesy or anything, but, but I would really say it's a place of love and the community loves one another and takes care of one another. Um, for example, I know that when, when I, I got the position there, um, I was moving from, from up north, northern Michigan, central Michigan. I had to move, I think, 45 minutes to um, come to Assumption. And, and when I was transitioning and moving from houses for the first two weeks in my new house, I didn't have to make a single meal. The families were bringing cooked meals to my home and you know really taking care of me and and showing me what their community was all about and 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 that's not just for the principal if, if there's somebody sick um like a, a child or a family member that gets sick you know we we try to take care of them by you know getting a plow service to come and we're making railings and um we're doing rosary chains um for families you know it's really it's really about god's work through our school that we are we're called and compelled to love one another to take care of one one another um you know as christ teaches us and you can really see that in the school and the community it's really it's really a special place to see them at work and how how they work together to to make to bring all this together and to to bring these plans together to take care of each other it's it's really an amazing thing and i I truly, um, I haven't been a part of a community like this where they reach out for one another and take care of each other the way they do at Assumption. And it's, it's, it's just a part of who we are and it's what we do. So whenever anybody needs anything, when we say, is there anything we can do for you? We really mean that and it's not just words. We, we're gonna take care of you if we, if we ask you. It's beautiful. It's a, it's a beautiful vision for all our Catholic schools in the country really of, of what we want to be. What's special about the community? Where do you think that 
comes from? You, you mentioned knowing about it when you were in high school. Um, did you feel like that was the reputation even then? Was that the was that the community reputation um, at that point? Has it always been that way, or do you feel like it's something that's come about uh, in more recent times? I'm I'm not sure that I knew about the community um, when I was in high school and going to school with um, students from Assumption. I I oh I I knew that they were prepared and there was it was always kind of a, a smaller school, um, you know, and they were they were more tailored toward academics. Where I feel like the school I went to was more of a, a sports. Like we were we we were academic, but I think that that we were very much into athletics and outside things. But I, I know the assumption. I, I knew they were just very focused and and really prepared. For school, I, I didn't know much about the community. I knew it was in a smaller community outside of Rockford, which is a, a very nice area. Um, but I, I didn't know much about the community. I think I think when I interviewed, I I said, you know, I came from a, a school that performed very well in Fort Lauderdale, and I said this is going to be a good fit for me. Like I can use everything I learned about data and um, tracking kids and intervention, and you know working to make my school an even more academic powerhouse. But I found so much more than that when I when I got there um, with this community of love and, and taking care of one another. I, I didn't know that was there. And, you know, it's the staff I have we were like family, I would say, which um, coming from a public school that I was at where uh, our principal kind of led with a hammer and, you know, we weren't really friends with her, um, we were friends, but you didn't want to cross her. Um, where, where I'm at now um, with my staff, you know, we we enjoy just spending time together outside of school, which I don't know that you can say that everywhere. Like we we enjoy each other, and we we really like to just sit and talk and and communicate. And you know, it could be about school, or it could be about family, or anything else. It's it's really it's really an awesome culture that we have there as a staff as well. Um, one that I haven't been involved in um, either, anything to the degree that I'm at now. Yeah, that's beautiful. Beautiful message and beautiful community. And I'm sure uh, it's, it's a powerful witness for, uh, for the community and powerful sharing from you. Uh, so let's transition a little bit to the Blue Ribbon process. You obviously have a community that you're very, very proud of, that you're... Um, that you're happy about and, and is life-giving for you, both professionally and even personally. So what uh, what were the decisions or what were the, the steps that, that led up to deciding to apply for Blue Ribbon status? So um, our scores have been high and, and we knew we'd been scoring very high um, within the diocese for some time. And then... Um, I got a call from our assistant superintendent, who now is at um, the NCA, Jill Annabelle, and she said, Dominic, your scores are phenomenal. And I said, I know, we're, my teachers are doing an awesome job, the kids are working hard. And she said, you know, we're, we really need to look into Blue Ribbon. And I said, yeah, I know. Um, I've always wanted to do it. When I was in St. Michael, I was reading magazines about Catholic schools and Blue Ribbon, and I thought that'd be so cool. Um, and so I, I had read about the process, and then Jill told me that my scores, she was, she was saying your scores are really getting up there. So then um, a year later, our scores got even better, and I, I pulled up the, um, the assessment um, qualifications to be a Blue Ribbon School based on the 
NWEA map test, which is what we take. Um, and we qualified in every grade three through eight um, for blue ribbon. So we were in the top 15% nationally for, for math and reading, So, um, which is amazing. Um, and the rest is, once I found out the scores, we, we had to do it when we met the qualification. Yeah, that's great. So there's a kind of an encouragement too from the diocese there. We we love having Jill with us, by the way. That's great. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for giving her to us. I guess I don't know. I don't know if we but gave she, it to her. Too. Yeah, we we really miss her. We love her yeah. and uh, wish her all the best. She's gonna be great for you guys. Yeah, no, she's great. But um, you feel like there was a diocesan focus on if your scores were where they needed to be, then then this was good recognition for you to pursue as a school. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's and, great. So there, and and our diocese doesn't want our schools really competing with one another. So we're kind of quiet about um, our scores. We we don't really broadcast them out too much in front of each other, or or use it as a marketing um, tool because all the schools are special in their own way, and it's it's finding the school that fits you. Um, so yeah, so we're kind of quiet about that. So to get a push from from the diocese about test scores, that was very encouraging. So for schools out there who uh, maybe people are listening, principals are listening or teachers are listening, maybe even dioceses are listening. Um, what's the process like? What time commitment? How, how did you put a committee together? How did you go about um, going through the application process? So um, the application process, there were there were pieces that um, I knew that I needed my teachers to complete. So I looked I look to my middle school teachers who are um, so focused on certain subjects because you have to you have to talk about your your math um, your math curriculum how you reach all students your reading curriculum your English language arts and your science and social studies so I reached out to my middle school teachers and I asked them each to because I only have I only have one teacher. Um, per subject, we're, we're kind of a smaller school. Um, and they're kind of my experts in those areas. So I asked each of them to write me a paragraph or two um, on each of those subject areas and um, how we go about that and the curriculum and how we're reaching all learners, what we do that special assumption. And they they took off with it and you know really hit a home run with, with that piece. Um, so that was, that was helpful. I, we also have a full-time interventionist, and it does talk about intervention and how you meet the needs of all students. And I, I asked my interventionist to write that piece. So they were, that was that was part of my theme. There was just in-house people with boots on the ground that know it inside and out. So I, I put them each in their specialty area, and I think that that worked really well. And they enjoyed writing that. And, and it actually they got it done in no time. <laughs> I think they got it done in a day or two. Yeah. So that was that's great. That that was that part. Um. And then, so we have, we had documents archived of, um, like our school's mission and vision. And then we had what, what a future graduate looks like that comes from assumption. And we had different, different pieces all broken down prior to like what they look like in their education, what they look like in their faith, what they look like when they leave assumption. And so I, I used all of these documents and I kind of took it from there, um, with that framework already being put together by our school board that made that um, vision of an assumption graduate. And so I took bits and pieces from that document um, and then answered the rest of the questions. And of, of course, there's just regular questions like, you know, 
what's where what city are, are you located what's the geography like what's the socioeconomic status and you you have to have all that information but then you also have to have you know what what makes your school special and how do you how do you reach every student and you know and we talked a lot about christ um in our application and we also talked a lot about relationship building because i think you know i you know you can you can know all the x's and o's but but once you build those relationships with kids and and you have that love and respect for one another um you'll you'll reach i'm gonna we'll go over this but those the kids that you have that strong relationship will strive to do everything they can to um, show you that they're learning and that they love you and that they will they'll work their will work as hard as possible for you once you build that relationship. Am I making sense there, Kevin? You're absolutely making sense. I um, think that's what you were speaking about almost when you started the conversation about assumption is just that special community aspect of the school, the, the sense of love, the sense of connection. And I think that's the intangible that you're trying to capture I, in the application process. And, and, right? I, and I think that that's what we were trying to do, you know, um, and, and we do it. We do a phenomenal job with our with our we have we have data chats, you know, with the, as a, a staff, the interventionist, the teachers and myself will sit through after after we get the um, standardized assessment we'll go through there and we'll look at you know kids that are doing really well and you know how can we push them further and you know kids that are scoring below the 25th percentile that's kind of what we do if you if you score below the 20 the 25th percentile the national 25th percentile in math or reading then then we qualify you for intervention and then our interventionist will pull you for you know depending on what, where your score is, is, is how much intervention we give you. So um, she'll, she'll pull kids and, and you know, we, we really use that. And I find that, I find that the teachers, even though, you know, we don't get too, too hard in our data chats, just knowing that we're looking at data and we're going to, we're going to take a look at it and dive into it. They take that really serious. And I think it reflects it in their classrooms as well, uh, that we have those data chats. I think that's, I think that's really important and I think that's how we stay successful just by talking about it and yeah. and I also think the relationship piece I was telling you that um, you know we love to sit down and talk and you know outside of work we even sit and talk and I think I think too just like students I think that when you when you build that relationship with your staff like that I think that your staff will go above and beyond for you as well if they're happy and they feel valued they're gonna work their rear ends off for you yeah. I think what I'm hearing too, and this, uh, uh, what you're really saying is the culture there is such, um, and, and everything you've described, uh, as far as relationships and connection to one another and, um, the enjoyment and looking at data and all those things that's just in place. So the application for blue ribbon was just trying to say, let's just document what we're doing here. We don't have to put anything together. We don't have to sell anything or do anything. We just have to show them who we are. And if we show them who we are, that's going to be enough. And that's ba that was basically it. We showed them who we were and and the special things we do and and about our relationships and the you know the special activities that we have as a school community. The the times we get together for you know donuts with dads and muffins with moms for the May crowning. You know, um, just talking about all the all the things we do as a community. Um, and and we did we we touched on our academics, data chats, and intervention and things like that. But yeah, it was just. It was telling them just about all the things that we currently do, just putting it into words and sitting down and and, and writing it. So it was, it, it really didn't feel that difficult. Yeah.
So that's great. Um, so you apply, obviously it's there and you're all probably waiting. So talk about the moment when you heard, when the announcement was made that you, uh, that you had the recognition. Um, talk about that, 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 that moment. Yeah. So, so Cape, so you have to apply through Cape and then Cape approves you and then they, they nominate the schools, the, the private schools that they, um, feel have the best application. And it's really, you know, I, I feel like I got emotional. Like it was, um, it was an unbelievable feeling. Uh, just a validation, I think, of everything that we do together as a staff. Um, and I was so proud of our students and our families and our teachers. And, and I, I almost felt unworthy, like because of the, the hard work that they all do. I just, they all work so hard and it, and it just showed. And this was a validation. Um, of all the hard work and effort they do so it was just it was an awesome feeling but at the same time they tell you once once they let you know like i think i found out gosh in, in late april or may so long ago and with the pandemic and shutdown my my memory's a little clogged up on that but they tell you and then they're like but keep it close to your vest because we can't tell anybody until the announcement so so you just kind of have to hold it close you know um, so you couldn't tell anyone in the community even? No, we couldn't tell oh, anybody. Wow. Oh, goodness, yeah. Um, until the actual announcement was made, and then we could celebrate. But, yeah, you have to keep it. They ask you to keep it close to your vest. So you, you've got, you know, four months there where you can't say anything. I would drop little hints, you know, here and yeah. there, yeah. but I couldn't outright say it. Well, also, you knew you knew the outcomes you were hitting with your, your students, and you knew the scores and everything else, so you probably had a – a confidence uh, in the process, but you never know until you hear, of course. So that's, that's the, uh, tell, uh, let's just close out a little bit, um, a little bit about how you're dealing with COVID just, uh, and you, you alluded to the fact that you heard in April, May, and obviously all things were going on back then. And now we're in a spiky time again. Are, are you in person with your kids or how, how are you, how are you dealing with all of that? We are, we are in person with our kids. I'm at home right now. Um, in quarantine waiting for my COVID test to come back. Oh, wow. I I developed uh, some congestion and some body soreness in my sore throat. And I you know, I always err on the side of caution. I didn't want to go to work with any of that. So so I'm at home and we we're doing well. You know, we've only had one case in our building and that was in I wanna say early September and we quarantined thirteen kids and the spread never happened in our school. Um, you know, we're wearing masks, we're we're cleaning in the middle of the day and we're cleaning actually throughout the day um, and we're really taking a lot of precautions with one-way hallways and you know cohorting kids into groups which which seems to be going really well we're noticing right now that parents are getting it um, and the kids aren't really getting getting it so much but the kids are having to quarantine at home so it's not really spreading through the school but but our circle is narrowing a bit I feel like we're knowing more and more people with COVID right now yeah. um, but our teachers, you know, again, I'm gonna hats off to the teachers. They are amazing. The work they do is phenomenal across the country. My teachers are are doing virtual and in-person learning at the same time right now through all grades K through eight, even preschool actually, DK, preschool DK through eight, we're all doing kind of a hybrid for all students. So if you're in person, you're you're learning in person and if you're need to be at home you're getting a peek into the classroom daily with teacher instruction and um so we, and some kids as they get sick and are staying home they're still getting virtual education so they're working so hard i mean hats off to the teachers you talk about 
um, principal appreciation. Yeah, I mean, it should be teacher appreciation week every week. They are, they are so important and and amazing and so giving and loving and you know, they are saints. They are saints. Amen to that. Amen to that. Um, well, Dominic, uh, you're absolutely right about teachers and uh, and the thanks and the praise we have to give them. But we also want to make sure we're thinking and, um, and crediting our great principals across the country as well. And the way you've described assumption uh, it really does come down to a culture that's been established, that's been grown, that's been nurtured, that's been developed. And uh, and leadership has a big part of that culture. So um, clear that uh, you're doing an outstanding job there. Uh, and uh, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, we really congratulate you on, uh, on achieving Blue Ribbon status. But it sounds like that's just an indicator of all the tremendous work that's actually taking place at the school. So Dominic, congratulations. Thank you, Kevin, so much. Honored to be here and God bless you and the good work that you're doing. Uh, we are excited to have Simon McFall with us. He is the principal at St. Olaf School in Bountiful, Utah. Uh, and we want to highlight uh, some principals this week to uh, really show our appreciation for all the work um, that they're doing. Obviously, uh, the ones we'll speak uh, to are representative of all the great principals across this uh, country in terms of all the work they've been doing, especially in light of the challenges with COVID-19 and all of the efforts um, they're putting forward. So Simon, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Kevin. Uh, great to be here and I appreciate the invitation. And uh, it's a great opportunity for us to honor all the good work being done across the country. So thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, just to start off, tell me a little bit about yourself, Simon, a little bit about your background and uh, a little bit about St. Olaf School. Sure. Uh, well, I have. Uh, I, I always say that um, I'm one of those people who has faced their Catholic faith and, and been challenged by it. And um, my Catholic education career has uh, been one that started way back in 1999 um, and has taken a journey uh, sort of across the country. Um, I've had the opportunity to work in schools um, both on the East Coast and uh, here in Utah. Uh, been blessed to have been called to serve in a number of different capacities, both as a dean of students, a, a teacher, and now um, as an administrator. Um, and it's been an incredible journey to walk through. It's been um, amazing to be a part of uh, so many different schools with uh, strong charisms and strong missions and identities um, that you know really invoke all that is Catholic faith. Um, so that's uh, been a great opportunity. So I came to St. Olaf's in January of 2018. Um, our school this year is celebrating its 60th uh, Jubilee. Uh, we have been open for 60 years this year. Um, and uh, we're a small school, intentionally so, here in Bountiful, Utah. And uh, we've had the opportunity as we've gone through to, to sort of uh, since I've arrived to look at the history, the ethos of the school, um, the priest who began the school, the reason he did, uh, the Daughters of Charities who were the original teachers and ser servants of this community, um, and we've been really trying to grow their charism and continue their charism in our work here. Um, which of course, is, as I'm sure many people know, the Daughters are focused on serving those in most need. Um, so that's one of the missions and, and things that we hold dear to our heart here at St. Olaf's. 
Absolutely. Uh, you said you came to St. Olaf in January of 2018, and you've been on the East Coast as well. Were you in Utah already, or did you come for the job? Uh, so I was in Utah already. Um, I, my family and I were here, uh, and I was working at a local high school. Um, I was the dean of students at a local high school when uh, I was asked by the superintendent of schools and uh, the pastor of the parish at the time to come serve here in St. Olaf's. So I was, I was at uh, Judge Memorial as the dean of students prior to that um, here in Utah. Wonderful. And so you come to St. Olaf's uh, mid-year, and, um, and what did you find uh, in terms of, um, obviously, new leader coming into a community? Um, what were some of the experiences that you had? Well, I think like most um, people when they arrive, most new leaders, um, even educators when they arrive at a school, I arrived with a lot of questions. Um, I arrived mid-year um, and uh, lucky enough to arrive to a beautiful community, a strong, faith-filled community, um, and, a, and a really uh, a strong school. And so when I arrived, I, I just showed up and asked, started asking a lot of questions. And I was wandering around the building a lot and kind of trying to learn the history. Um, we, we, you know, we have a plaque on the wall when we walk in that honors all of the Daughters of Charity who have served our community. I started doing research. Um, and, and as I did that research, as I started to ask questions, I started to notice that um, you know, our parish and our school were strong, uh, but they were running parallel to each other. They weren't um, necessarily intersecting intentionally. Uh, and so that was one of the first things that we began to address when we got here is we as a community identified and recognized that you know, if we're gonna have a strong faith-centered faith, uh, school um, and a strong parish school, that the parish and school need to be working in conjunction hand in hand. Uh, so we immediately began to address um, that relationship. That was the first thing that we started to take after. You know, I want to highlight this because I think this is so important. You said when you, you came into a community, and I think the reason I want to highlight it is I think it's just such a great practice for new leaders. Um, you said you just came in with questions, and I think really asking questions and getting to know the community and getting to know the people uh, of the community, that's uh, just such a wise approach. Um, and we would encourage new leaders to really think in those terms versus coming in with answers and coming in with a, uh, a kind of approach. What were some of those key questions uh, that you remember having yourself and maybe asking um, when you first came to the school? Well, I'll tell you a quick story that led me to one of my first questions. Um, on the first day I was here, I just took a walk around the building by myself. And I walked into this one room that we have, um, which is a former kitchen in the building. Now, our building is sort of unique. Um, when it was originally built, it was the rectory. Um, it was the Knights of Columbus Hall. It was the church itself, and it was the school. So it has a lot of really curious and wonderful idiosyncrasies. Uh, so as I walked around the building, I happened to walk into this one room, and above the room was this one tile, and it just said, dedicated to Charles Dean. Um, and I kind of looked at it, and it was in a prominent place, but sort of uh, displayed prominently in the room, but hidden unless you went looking for it. And so my very first thing on the very first Friday Mass, all school Mass, is I was asking people, I said, you know, I think I need to learn a lot about the past parishioners, and I need to know the story of the original priest who was here, who was Father Pollock. Um, and I wanted to know more about what his mission was and what was the mission um, of the school. I wanted to know what the ethos center was of our community. Um, so I started asking those questions. And... Um, Kevin, one of, my, one of my favorite moments in my experiences here is, so I started asking people around, who's Mr. Dean? Does anybody know, is Mr. Dean still alive? I didn't know. 
And so I was sitting at Friday mass one day and we had just finished and all the children were walking out. And typically prior to COVID on a Friday mass, we'd have a number of our daily mass attendant parishioners um, in the mass. So this wonderful woman walked up to me and gently put her hand on my arm and looked at me and said, I heard you've been asking questions about my husband. Oh. <laughs> and I, I paused and I turned and there is this beautiful woman, 92 year old woman who has been a m- member of our parish almost her entire life. And I said, are you Mrs. Dean? And we immediately launched into a conversation about her husband who was an engineer and who would dedicate his time after work to the construction of our, at that time, parish, school and church. Um, and that really was what launched me. I think our Catholic schools, the beauty of Catholic education in our Catholic schools is that they're all truly unique. We're centered in the same faith, but we all carry such special charisms. And part of those charisms, my belief is, is it's centered around the people who helped form the parishes. I'm just lucky enough to have a parish where some of the original parishioners were still here. So the questions really were, who are we? What's our mission? What, how are we living that mission? And are we still respecting the past? We can't live in it, we can't dwell in it, but are we respecting it as we evolve and move forward? And I'm just, it's been now almost four years and Mrs. Dean and I continue to have conversations about her husband and about all the work he did and and it's reinvigorated her interest in the school. Um, And it's great to see that kind of stewardship. And I think um, that's where I started. Those were the questions that led me to begin. What a, what a beautiful story. Uh, and uh, it makes a great transition to this next area I wanted to speak with you about. And you alluded to it uh, about maybe the parish and the school were kind of operating in parallel to one another. Um, talk about uh, how, how steps you took maybe to, to remedy that. I mean, obviously, that story about Mrs. Dean um, showed a great connection with uh, not just the history of the school, but the connection to the parish. How, what steps did you take to kind of ensure that they weren't operating in parallel and that they started to uh, operate in sync a little bit more? Well, I think the, the first thing is I have to give credit to um, having pastors. Now, I'm on, I have, we've had two pastors in my time here, but both cases, they were interested in trying to close the gap between the two. Um, so, so first and foremost, I had a willing partner. Um, I don't think any of it would have been possible without that. Um, and beyond having a willing partner, I think learning the stories was critical because you know, I, I was a history teacher before I was a principal, and I always felt like my favorite line in history is, you know, know your own history, because if you don't, someone else will report to know it more or better than you do. And so what we started to do was really dive into the history. We pulled out every picture. We started circulating the pictures. We started telling the stories of the deans. And we have another uh, family in our community um, who's still present, who helped then build the next evolution of our church. And I brought him in and made him a part of our capital campaign committee. Um, We just started really being intentional of tying those two stories together. And then as we did, and as we invited those past parishioners back into the community, um, we started to educate our kids. These are who these people are. You know, the daughters of charity served our school from 1960 to 1935. But in 1935, they had discerned that the school no longer met the mission of their of their order and they needed to move their focus. And so they left. Well, I've I've always felt that sometimes as Catholic schools, I wonder if we did the best job when the religious decided to leave of continuing to share, tell their stories and keep them 
connected and respect what they've given to our communities. And to nobody's fault, I think just sometimes transitions are difficult. Well, the sisters left in 95, and then they moved on physically from the property eventually a few years later. Well, one of the things I wanted to do was to bring them right back in. So we do a casual for a cause every month where we, we generate donations to, to give to a needy cause. Well, our first every year is for the Daughters of Charity. We donate to the Daughters of Charity every year. And we invite a daughter in, one of the ones that's still remaining, who actually taught at our school in the 60s. We tell her story. She comes in in the habit. We ha she has lunch with the kids. Um, we bring her in all of the time. Um, so it's, it, it really, for us, was about identifying the stories, sharing the stories, intentionally bringing those uh, parishioners into the functioning of the school, making them committee members, um, et cetera. That, that was part of the way we started to draw each other together. Because it wasn't, it, we lost the, un, we, well, we sh I should say, we rediscovered the famili familiarity of each other. Um, and, and then began to celebrate those things. Um, and as, I, as we moved in that way, actually just yesterday, one of the Daughters of Charity was here and um, she had brought us some gifts uh, and she was at a, uh, one of their facilities recently close and one of our alumni said to her, oh, where are you going? And she said, well, I'm going to St. Olaf's. And she goes, oh, tell him I said hi. And she goes, I will. She goes, I go there all the time. And the, the other person looked at the sister and said, sister, really, you go there all the time? She goes, if it wasn't for Kova, I'd be there all the time. I feel so connected to that space. And, and that's what we wanted, not just from the daughters, but that's what we wanted from the past parishioners and our past parents, and even our current parishioners, to intentionally feel that they were welcomed, that they were invited. You know, my grandmother always used to say to me, um, it's your job to make sure that everyone has a seat and an invitation to the table. They have to choose to sit down, but you have to provide them the opportunity to do so. So that's what we've been trying to do over the last um, few years is really intentionally provide those opportunities. Uh, wow, that's that's powerful. I, I just highlight this because we obviously, um, the trend you describe is something we're seeing in Catholic schools or we have seen really in Catholic schools over the last couple of decades and that religious who have really run, their orders have run the schools, have, have either left or diminished in their uh, the numbers, uh, so they don't have the numbers that they once had. And I think to honor those founding charisms and, and to honor the individuals, of course, is just such a huge part of what makes Catholic schools so wonderful. And for, again, I would say for lay leaders who are taking on schools, um, to really invest the time and energy to to research and to look at that that charism and to look at that founding order because to keep those relationships going, it's obviously just, uh, it's important from a historical perspective, but it's an important um, from the perspective you're laying out too for the future of the school, right? To, to create those those networks and those connections that help the, the school thrive. So that's great. Um, so I, I just want to talk a couple of things you've done too that I, I heard about. you had a free Halloween car show with food trucks and those types. Talk about some of the, is that another one of those uh, monthly things that you were doing in terms of trying to uh, generate revenue and, and those types of things? No, actually that, that had nothing to do with revenue and anything. It was more back to what we were just talking about. It was more about reinvigorating the community. Um, I, again, you know, I wonder if a lot of our Catholic schools, as you're kind of describing, have gone to sleep 
in some ways because they've forgotten the charism or we've lost the charism or we've, you know, just are focused on so many things, right? Because the modern education drives us in so many different directions. Um, we just wanted to reinvigorate the community. So we were trying to find ways to, again, intentionally bring the community together. And we didn't even, sh we weren't even sure explicitly who our community was um, because at that point, this was last fall, last October, um, we weren't even sure if we had a good uh, alumni base. So when we started to, you know, uh, make announcements or send out emails or, or communicate with our community, we were sure we were missing people along the way. So we thought to ourselves, well, if we create these events and have them on our campus, then something, you know, maybe maybe we'll find people that we've missed. So, so to that to that point, um, we have an annual car show that's open to our uh, not car show annual Halloween carnival that's open to our community, and we thought, wouldn't it be fun to do a car show in conjunction to the to the uh, carnival? So we did, and I'll never forget. Uh, we had this this a husband and wife couple pull up in a 1929 Model A, beautiful red Model A. I can see it. And the woman gets out, and she looked at me, and she said, hey, how are you, and who are you? And I introduced myself, and we were talking, and she said, you know, in 1958, I was standing right there, and she pointed down to the front of our property and said, I was weeding, weeding with then Father Pollock in preparation for building this church. And I said, really? And she said, yeah. And she went on and telling me this story. And it turned out that, you know, she had um, gone away from our parish for whatever reason, and this was her first time back in many, many years. We turned around a couple of minutes later, the next cars roll in, another car rolls in, and it's another uh, parishioner um, or former parishioner who, who, or parishioner who wasn't active, I should say. Um, and through the process, through the conversation, through the engagement of the priest at that car show, um, was reinvigorated. And then prior to COVID was, you know, back active in the parish again. Um, so, it, you know, it was just one of those opportunities and we didn't ask for money. We didn't collect money. We allowed the food trucks to be on the property. We didn't um, take any money from that. We just wanted to create an event where people felt welcomed. They felt a part of the greater community and they saw the community alive. They saw the community breathing into, um, you know, what it blossoming into what we hope it should be. Um, so that's really what the focus of that car show was. Such a great lesson, and um, I want to transition a little bit to fundraising, but I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of building those relationships is the first step to anything you want to do. If you want to raise money, if you want to do a capital campaign, um, you can't just start by, by doing that. You have to connect people back. When I was a principal, I remember having a reunion. I think it might have been a 50-year reunion for, uh, it was a middle, it was a uh, K-8. So these were eighth graders when they graduated 50 years after graduation. And we brought them back. And again, we weren't going to ask them for money, but I remember walking through the school and we happened to be in the middle school building at the time. And they all said, this was our first grade classroom. <laughs> and they all just started looking at it in wonder because they knew they had 60 first graders at that point, you know, with one nun um, leading them all. And they were sitting in the desks imagining, and I was looking at the classroom thinking, gosh, this is now a middle school classroom with 25, 30 kids in it. And they're thinking about 60 first graders. And uh, again, in those types of things, I think just reconnect people to the community. And that's, th those are the foundational steps that you need to take if you're then going to you know, lead to fundraising and development and advancement. So that's beautiful, beautiful story. Um, 
I want to talk a little bit about this too, because you, you said uh, I know there's some things you needed to rebuild in, in part of the parts of the school, and that you launched a capital campaign about a week after the pandemic. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> yeah, we we actually uh, <laughs> we broke ground uh, seven days after we went to soft closure. Um, after all schools sort of across the country, uh, our, our 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 targeted date was March 20th, 2020. And uh, we officially went to a soft closure on March 13th, 2020. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it was, um, it was one of, the, we, we actually, I remember sitting and having the conversations on the 13th as a community. And, and, and as we were you know, sending our kids home for you know, what some people were saying was gonna be just two weeks. And I mean, I'm sure we all remember the conversations. Um, and for some of us, we were just not sure how long it was going to be. And as we were sitting there, I just, and talking about, okay, we had, we've come this far, we had planned to move forward, um, what was the next step? And you know, one of the conversations, again, that, that continued to sort of percolate from parishioners, from parents, um, from staff, was we'd awoken the community and we needed to keep it awake. Um, people felt it was really important to uh, continue the work while you know, everything was sort of closing up they said, no, this is our moment to continue to move forward, to continue to, to keep the heartbeat going, to show the life growing back into our community. And so we did. So we launched um, the first phase of our capital improvements to our, our campus facility, um, which were significant. We, we've had, um, we, ha we have a building that was built in 1960 and it hadn't been basically touched since 1960. So we had electrical issues and we had uh, water drainage issues and we had um, issues with uh, entrance and, and easements and all of those things. And, and we really were able to go and to push forward into those spaces and to be able to launch the first phase of our capital campaign. Um, and broke ground on March 20th, and we officially um, sort of closed the, the physical structure of our uh, phase one in August of 2020 um, with massive improvements to the site, uh, to the electrical, to all the utilities. It was really quite something. And again, kept our campus alive um, it, it, all throughout the, the, the soft closure. And then when August came around, we were able to open for five days a week and, and move forward um, right away and have been five days a week with 100% of our population on campus uh, since August, which has been just a, a blessing. But you know, Kevin, one of the things that has impressed me about this, this community, the St. Olaf Catholic School community and what we've done here, is that none of that would have been possible without, again, I, I hate to be the, <laughs> to come back to it, but it's those, those relationships. Um, we had our parishioners wake back up to our community too and we had significant donations that came back to the school for the capital improvements because they saw the campus alive again because they saw what we were doing they saw the investment they saw the commitment and i had a number of parishioners who were incredibly generous and came back to us and said this is because you know, we believe in what the school should be, has been, and will be. And we want to be stewards. We want to be there to keep that relationship going. And that generosity was what really allowed us to go from March to August and make that first phase uh, functional. And it was beautiful because it wasn't just improvements for the school. We have a 14-acre campus, and we were able to do improvements for the parish as well. Um, and that part was critical. In fact, when we were in our design plans, you know, we said, again, let's be intentional. 
let's make sure this isn't just for the parish or just for the school. This is for the community because we are ministries uh, for each other in this moment, and that work is critical. That's great. Um, you said hate to come back to it. I think you, you should continue to come back to it because <laughs> the importance of relationships is just so important and it's so clear. And I will just say, too, starting a campaign after the pandemic happened, that that speaks to the culture, I think, that you've created there, Simon, which is just a credit to you and the whole team, I'm sure, at St. Olaf. I have one more one more question I just want to ask because— um, Obviously, uh, if people know anything about Utah, they know uh, it's not necessarily a Catholic stronghold. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I believe your area has about 3% of your population are Catholics. And the reason why I think this is an important question is that we obviously have uh, schools across the country with different demographic realities. Maybe their Catholic population is declining, and they sometimes wonder, can we attract families or not? Um, In an area where that's just your reality, how how do you recruit? How do you bring people? people to it if um, if your population is not necessarily um, obviously practicing the faith uh, of, of Catholicism? Well, I think that there's there's a couple of things that come to mind right away. And, and I've been blessed to work with some and work for some incredibly uh, gifted school leaders. And one of the messages is that they've all shared with me is that um, and again, we stick to our charism, we stick to our ethos, we stick to the fact that we're a Catholic school. Um, we Everything that we do begins there. Um, we have to be true to our faith. I think now more than ever, um, regardless of people's individual faith, everyone is looking and needs faith in their life. Um, this time has called so many things into question. Um, and so what we've done is we've led with that. We've led with who we are as a Catholic school. We've led with who we are as a faith community. We recommend, we, we recognize that, you know, again, as you said, it's actually 2% in our, in our, in our area is Catholic. Um, and so we recognize that because of that, one of the things that's really important is while we teach, profess, and live our Catholic faith, one of the key tenets of our Catholic faith is that well, I think all of us right, would agree with this, is that we respect the dignity and decency of all people. And that means respecting their faith as well. So welcome to our community. Welcome to our faith. Um, welcome. We hope you join us, but you don't have to. We're not going to be shy about sharing it, but we want you to be a part of it because we think it's so special. But when you come through our doors, whether you're of a non-denominational Protestant, whether you're of, you know, in our area, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, whether you're of Islamic faith, whether you're Hindu, whether you're Jewish, we welcome you. And we want you to come in as a whole person and live your faith and know that we are here to respect the decency and dignity in you. And we're here to share our faith with you. And hopefully along the way, we all learn from each other. Because communities of diversity are what you know, challenges thought and communities of diversity are what help us all to grow. Um, you know, if we're living in a singularity, we, we, we don't get um, our, our circular logic or, or could be self-sealing. And is when we bring in other people, it, it brings questions into faith. And faith and questions, I think, are a happy marriage. We should embrace the questions of our faith. It helps us grow in understanding and in passion for our faith. So that's how we do it. Um, we, we, I think, like a lot of schools across this country, I think we're one of those communities, and I know I've been a part of a number of them. There's so many gifted communities who recognize their faith, lead with it, embrace, and welcome everyone else. 
Amen. That's that's a homily right there. I think that's a beautiful uh, beautiful message about um, welcoming all, um, and 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 recognizing that uh, in diversity there's strength and in diversity there's growth. So wonderful message. Uh, Simon McFall, principal at St. Olaf School in Bountiful, Utah. Thank you so much uh, for being with us. And, and, and more importantly, thank you for your leadership and your work at the school. Uh, it's been an inspiring conversation, and I know it's going to help a lot of folks uh, across the country. So thanks so much for being with us. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Kevin. It's been a pleasure. Uh, that's NCA podcast for this week. Thanks so much for joining us, and we will see you next week. God bless. God bless.